Well, good morning and welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris, and it's great to uh, have all of you here today. And we are ending this series called Hello, My Name Is Today. And, uh, you know, we've just been looking at this whole world of relationships. And we all, we all get the power of relationships. There's these moments where uh, uh, relationships give us so much life. I mean, some of our best moments that we've already lived through and experienced, we think about uh, moments that have given us joy and um, such positive um, memories. It's all, all centered around people. And some of the most intense moments of our life that have created so much angst and tension and anger and darkness uh, has been centered around people. And as I was thinking about how, how do we bring this all to a close? How, how do we just kind of like wrap this series up? Because guess what? Tomorrow we're going to wake up and there's going to be another moment that brings us joy and it's going to be attached to people. And there's going to be another moment that creates tension and it's going to be attached to people. And so, you know, relationships, you know, just because we did a six-week ser- series doesn't mean our relationships are perfect now. I mean, we're not that good, right? And so I started thinking about the storyline of the Bible. I mean, that, that common storyline that really uh, brings the entire Bible together is that storyline that really simplifies the Bible. And, I mean, there's complicated parts of the Bible, and for thousands and thousands of years, there's been great minds and great theologians that have debated doctrinal issues in the Bible. Well, I'm not talking about those issues. I'm talking about if we simplify the entire storyline of the Bible, it really comes down to this. God desperately wants a relationship with us. God the creator wants a relationship with his creation. And you see that storyline throughout the entire Bible as God desperately wants to connect with us and God desperately wants us to have him as a part of our lives. So much so that God the son decided to come down here to this earth and become man to die so that everyone would have an opportunity to have a relationship with God. Not just in our dash, but for all eternity. And as I was thinking about God the Son, Jesus, there's one relationship that he had here on this earth that was the most unique, and probably we have uh, more information about his relationship with a guy named Simon, or Peter, or Cephas, or Rock. You you can call him whatever you want. I prefer the the name Rock. That's just an awesome name. (laughs) But there's something so unique and so powerful and so comforting when we look into this relationship between Jesus and Peter. Their first encounter recorded in the Bible was was actually in Peter's house. You see, the rumor mill had been running rapid about this guy named Jesus that had started healing people. I mean, you could just imagine that rumor mill and the gossip was going and people were all talking about this guy and where did he come from and who is he? And man, but We've seen, we've seen, we've seen. And so one day, Jesus shows up at Peter's doorstep to his house. You see, 
Peter's mother-in-law, mother-in-law was gravely ill. And Peter witnessed Jesus heal his mother-in-law. My question is, did Peter want him to heal her? But we don't find that recorded in the Bible. So we just assume that Peter uh, wanted his wife to be happy, so he healed her. And right at that interchange, when their lives crossed, intrigue set in. Right? If you witness someone healed, I mean, you lean in at that moment. But, But it's not like Jesus had a name tag on, hello, my name is. And on that name tag, it said, Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. All Peter knew in that moment was he heard about this man named Jesus who could heal people. And now he's leaning in, seeing it happen. And that intrigue just started his mind going, this is someone different. The second moment that their lives connected, it was at the end of a very hard work day. Peter and his work associates were uh, cleaning up the boats and mending the nets and putting all the fishing equipment away, and they were tired and hungry. And this man named Jesus shows up and literally climbs into one of Peter's boats. He didn't ask to climb in his boat, he just did. And then he said, hey, Peter, can can you move the boat just off the shore a little bit? You see, there's a crowd of people that had gathered to lean into this man named Jesus because, again... The rumor mill had been running, and Jesus wanted to teach. Whether Peter wanted to or not, I think Peter just kind of felt like he, he, there's this debt of gratitude because he did heal his mother-in-law, and so he moved the boat off, a shore, off the shore a little bit. And when Jesus was done teaching, Jesus looked at Peter and said, Hey, Peter, why don't you move the boat, the clean boat with the clean nets, with the clean fishing equipment, why don't you move the boat off the shore more into deeper waters, and why don't you throw those clean, mended nets back into the water? And I'm sure somewhere in that dark part of Peter's heart, that pride kind of was poked. And with an element of skepticism and an element of sarcasm, Peter said, hey, Jesus, we haven't caught any fish all day. Not one, not even a tiny one. And I'm sure somewhere in Peter's mind, he started thinking through like, who is this guy? He's not a fisherman, obviously. He hasn't come from a generation of generation of generation of fishermen, obviously. We're the experts, not him. We do this every day, not him. And he wants us to go back out. It's dinner time. And we're frustrated because we didn't catch a fish. Our economic engine for the day is zero. And now we have to go find food for our family. Seriously? But I think that moment of seeing Jesus heal his mother-in-law caused him to move the boat into the deeper waters and throw those nuts in. Was it faith? I don't think so. Faith in who? Who was Jesus at that point to him? I mean, he did something cool, but did he just get lucky in that moment with his mother-in-law? Did she just happen to get better the day he showed up? 
Or was his mother-in-law like one of those high drama mother-in-laws that maybe was overacting a little bit? Right? I mean, I'm not saying mother-in-laws are like that. Was it belief that caused him to move the boat into deeper waters? Belief in what? And belief in who? Jesus was this strange guy that was doing some cool things that people were talking about. I think it was curiosity. Mixed with skepticism and a little sarcasm. Let's see what Jesus has up his sleeve. Is he a one-trick pony? Or is there something more to him? So they took those clean nets and they threw them back into the water and they caught fish. Not one, not a few, not a good day's catch, but so many fish that Peter screamed back to the shore to have one of his associates bring another boat out. So many fish that when they started bringing them into both boats, both boats began to sink So many fish that they kind of just barely made it back to the shore without the boats going under. And then Jesus, as Peter's getting out of the boat, probably on one side, he's like, wow, we got fish. And wow, how did he know? Jesus said to Peter, don't be afraid. Fear? Peter might have been a lot of things, but he's a fisherman. He's not a coward. He's not timid. You you couldn't thrive as a fisherman and be fearful. Impossible. And they had lived lived through some intense moments out on the sea. Sudden storms that would come up, massive winds that would create these huge waves and they would barely make it back to the shore alive. Moments where their small little rickety fishing boats would be capsized and they would have to figure out how to get back to the shore. But yet when the sun came up the next morning, guess where they were? Back on the sea fishing. Fear? But Jesus saw something inside of Peter's heart. A dark corner where fear resided. And that fear would come back in a significant way. And then Jesus said, hey, I want you to be fishers of men. Come follow me. And in that moment, Peter and James and John, they left everything and started to follow Jesus. Was it, was it just kind of this impulsive moment? Maybe. Or was there this gravitational pull that's not from this world, that spiritual nature that was pulling them along with some curiosity and a whole lot of skepticism? So they started to follow Jesus. And over the next days, they witnessed Jesus reach out and literally touch a man with this highly infectious disease and heal him. They listened to Jesus teach and poke at the religious rulers and elite, and they love that. They witnessed a guy that couldn't walk, and all of a sudden, before their eyes, Jesus healed him, and he started to walk. Then there was this one day where Jesus walked up to a guy who's sitting at this table, and he was one of these guys that the entire community hated. He was wealthy and powerful. He got his wealth from Rome, and his, or his power from Rome, and his wealth from the people. And Jesus said to him, hey, why don't you come follow me? They're like, ah, Jesus, could, can, 
Can we vote on that? And then one day Jesus stopped and he turned around and he looked at this large crowd of people that had started following him. Why? Because they considered him a great rabbi, a great teacher, a wise man of God. And so by this time, there's so many people leaning into Jesus as a rabbi. And all of a sudden, Jesus started to pick you and you and you and you. And Peter was one of the 12. Matthew calls them the apostles. And Peter was chosen to be one. Now, this isn't in the Bible. It's underneath the section of Chris's opinion. <laughs> but if I was Peter, I mean, go back to eighth grade, gym class, dodgeball, right? <laughs> Two teams, and they start picking. And if you're first, right, you're like, yeah, and you walk on that team, and you're like, yeah. If you're the, the person not picked, I mean, the, the, the last one that they're like, oh, yeah, you, that's a whole different feeling. And I just have to think that there's some elitism that was inside Peter's heart as he looked around to this massive crowd and he's like, yep, you didn't get picked, I did. One day Jesus was in a house teaching and a lady shows up with the words scorn and shame and scandal written all over her. And he starts to have a conversation with this lady. What was her name, you ask? Well, the name given in the Bible of what they called her was sinner. And as Jesus is having this conversation, looking her in the eyes, which communicated to everyone around that he saw her value, he saw her worth, he looked past the scorn and the shame and the scandal in her sin. All of a sudden, P uh, Jesus, as he's looking at her in the eyes, he starts talking to Peter. Think about that moment. And as he's looking at this woman, he lets Peter know how deficient he is in the area of love. And that would come back later on in a significant way. One day, Peter wanted to test Jesus. And so they were back on their boat, a place that was very comfortable for them. And all of a sudden, they looked across the water. And this man starts walking on the water towards them, which is a fascinating story and fascinating moment for another time to talk about. But this man starts walking towards them on the water. And Peter wanted to throw a challenge out to Jesus. He said, hey, Lord, if it's you... I mean, I'm not sure, but hey, if it's you, I want to do what you're doing. Call me out. I want to walk on the water. That's a cool thing to do. And with one word, Jesus accepted his challenge. And he said, come. One leg out of the boat, another leg out of the boat, put a toe in the water. And he started taking steps on the water. And then doubt overtook his heart. He began to sink. And Jesus reached out and grabbed him and saved him. But this wouldn't be the last time that Jesus reached out and saved him. Jesus started to talk about his purpose and mission here on this earth. And Peter consistently 
revealed out loud how unaware he was of Jesus's mission and purpose, even though he kept on talking about it and keep, kept on talking about it. In fact, one day, Jesus was talking more about why he came and what his mission and purpose here on this earth was. And Peter spoke first and thought second, which is a common thing for Peter. He said to Jesus in front of this large crowd, hey, Jesus, I just don't understand what you're saying. And Jesus came back at him and said, why are you so dull? Peter, why don't you get what I'm saying? Peter, why aren't you connecting my words to my actions? Peter became Jesus' antagonist. As Jesus ramped up his teaching about his purpose and why he came, especially about his death, one day, Peter This isn't in the Bible, but I can imagine him with his hand on his sword. Looking around to the people gathered around Jesus. And he said, not on my watch, Jesus. I'm not going to let you die. These other guys, they might. Not me. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block. And in an incredible act of servant leadership, Jesus, with a bowl of water and a towel over his arm, started to wash the disciples' feet. Oh, this was an action saved for the the, the slaves of the house, but Jesus started to do this, and Peter kind of puffed up, and he said, no, no, you can't wash my feet. And Jesus said, then you cannot be a part of me, Peter. And so Peter as self-centeredness started to creep out of his heart. He said, fine, Jesus, not only wash my feet, wash my hands and my head as well. And after dinner one night, Jesus leaned back and all the apostles were kind of sitting around and Jesus started to talk. At that point, everyone kind of leans in to what Jesus is going to say next. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, by the way, I just want, let, want to let you know that not once, not twice, but three times, you're going to turn your back on me. You will betray me. You will deny me. And defensiveness just leapt from Peter's heart and mouth. And he goes, not me, Jesus. These other guys, they'll turn your, their backs on you quicker than, I will never do that. And it was in the garden when Jesus said to Peter, hey, Peter, will you stay awake and keep watch? I'm going to go pray. I'm just asking you to to just keep watch. And not once, not twice, but three times, Jesus came back to find Peter asleep. How self-absorbed can one person be? And when Judas walked up to Jesus and kissed him on the cheek, and when the high priest gave the orders to arrest Jesus, Peter, with that sword, took it out and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus turned around and stared at Peter. 
how disconnected can you be from my purpose here on this earth? Have you not been listening to my words? And when Jesus was being led to be put on trial, where was Peter? Not walking beside him, not walking a few steps behind him. He reluctantly walked in the shadows, watching from a distance. And when a teenage servant girl walked up to Peter and said, Hey, aren't you one of them? Peter said, No. Coward. A teenage servant girl. What's she going to do to him? Like scream in a high-pitched voice? When someone else walked up to Peter and said, no, 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 really, you're one of them. Peter said, no, liar. And when Malchus, a relative of the servant whose ear Peter had just cut off, walked up to him and said, no, no, really, you're the guy in the garden with Jesus, did the sword ear thing, like you're him. Peter denied it traitor. And when Jesus hung on the cross, where was Peter? I mean, Mary, Jesus's mother was there and Mary's sister was there and Mary Magdalene was there and Mary, the wife of Clopas was there. It was a Mary convention, right? I mean, they're all there. And John, the beloved, was there. Where was Peter? Lever. And when word got out that the tomb was empty, that Jesus wasn't in the tomb, oh, Peter wasn't the first one there. He didn't run quite that fast. But when he got there and walked into the tomb and saw that it was empty, he left confused. Now, you know, did Peter do some things right? A few I mean, he was the first one to claim that Jesus was the Messiah. I don't think he really knew what he was saying. He was just the guy who always spoke first. And it was Peter that Jesus looked at and changed his name from Simon to Peter Cephas, which means rock. And it was Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Oh, there's a few positive moments. But you see, I pause and I think about this relationship. And I tell you, I have cut off friends that have only done a fraction of what Peter did to Jesus. We all have, right? I mean, we think about this list. You're like at number three. I've been done with that person. And then we find Peter. In these days after people had started to see Jesus alive. Could you imagine the emotion? Could you imagine the confusion? No, 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 we saw him die. No, 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 yep, we saw him in the the tomb. No, he was dead. And now they're like, yeah, I talked with him. Yeah, I, I saw him. Yeah, I touched him. Yeah. Could you imagine what people were saying and thinking and processing 
And usually in these intense moments of life, these moments that are overwhelming, these moments that push us back on our heels, these moments that we can't quite get our arms around, usually our human nature is to go back to that comfort place, that place we know best. So where did Peter and a few of the other apostles go? They, they, They went back to their roots, to their fishing boat. That was safe. That was home. That's that's what they knew. And so they were on their fishing boat, and all of a sudden they looked at, at the shore, and guess who was standing there? Jesus. And guess what Jesus said to them? After another day of not catching fish, maybe they weren't really good fishermen. Jesus said, hey, throw those nuts back in and see what happens. And this time, Peter didn't come back at Jesus. He just threw the nets back in. And they caught fish. They went back to the shore and Jesus had built a fire and they started to eat dinner together. And when you put yourself in Peter's shoes, could you just imagine the emotion and the tension and the guilt? I mean, I wonder if Peter just sat there that whole dinner just thinking to himself, oh, what's he going to say to me? What's he going to say to me? What's he going to say to me? Man, I'm a jerk. And in front of everyone, like Jesus had done so many other times, he turned to Peter. And put yourself for a minute into Jesus' shoes. Not Jesus the Son of God, just Jesus the man. If you were Jesus looking at a friend that had done all those things to you, what would you say to that person? If you had one question, what would that one question be? Where were you? Where were you when I needed you? Where were you when I was going through one of the most difficult moments of my life? Where were you? I thought we were friends. I thought you cared for me. I've done so much for you and this is how you repay me? Oh, I can think of pages of things I'd want to say. And Jesus turns to his friend and asks him one question. He says, Simon, Now, I think this is so important. You see, it was Jesus that changed Simon's name to Peter, which means rock. But he brings him back to his original name, that first encounter in his house. And he said, Simon. And I think Peter's mind started rushing back to that first moment and that second moment and that third moment before his name changed. And Jesus said, Simon, son of John, Do you love me more than these? Now, it's kind of an awkward question because these meant all those other guys sitting around the fire. And I'm sure they kind of leaned in going, how is Peter going to answer this question? And Peter says, yes, I love you. You know I do. And then Jesus asked him a second question. Simon, son of John, do you love me? And at this point, Peter has to be getting a little uh, uh, impatient and frustrated going, I just, has he lost his mind? I just answered that question. And he goes, yes, you know I love you. And then Jesus asks him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Now it hit a nerve. It had to have. And Peter replies, Lord, you know all things. You know what I've thought about you. You know what I've said about you. You know what I've done for you and against you. You know I denied you and turned my back on you. You know I fell asleep. You know that I wasn't there at the cross. You know all things. And you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said this. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And everyone around that circle clearly understood what Jesus was talking about. But John, the author of this gospel, he wanted to make sure that everyone reading this for thousands of years to come would understand this moment. And so in verse 19, John wrote, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. You think about this moment. You think about the last time they stood on the shore of the same lake or the Sea of Galilee. You think about that last time where Jesus looked at Peter and said, follow me. And now it's the bookends. And Jesus is looking at him and saying, now follow me. Follow me. You see, I think for all of us in this room, we could look at Peter's life, the dash of his life, and he did a lot more after this moment. My question to you is, where do you find yourself? Do you find yourself like Peter that first time? Are you just intrigued with this guy named Jesus? I mean, just the thought that he's being the the son of God, that's the furthest thing from your mind. The same for Peter. And Jesus is saying, you follow me. Let's just discover this relationship together. That's all Jesus said to him the first time when he said, follow me. Hey, follow me. We'll work this out together. We'll discover this together. Let's just do this together. And for you, if you're not sure about Jesus, you're not sure about him being the son of God and all that, you know what Jesus is saying to you? Fine, that's okay. Let's just discover it together. I don't think, I don't think Peter fully, fully got that Jesus was the son of God until that moment around that campfire on the edge of that lake. I just don't. I think it was in that moment when he's looking at the resurrected Christ. And he starts saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? That Peter said, I get it. I get it. And maybe for you, it's been that type of journey for you spiritually. And maybe, just maybe today, 
you're sitting there going, I think I get it. And what's amazing is Jesus did it all on the cross. The word is a big churchy word, the word salvation. All it means is that you turn and you trust in Jesus. And what's great about salvation is you, you can't do anything to earn it or get it. It's been done for you. It's Peter sitting on, on, on a rock on, on the shore and Jesus saying, yeah, no, do you love me? Love's being extended to you, but do you love me? And that's what he's saying to you. If you haven't turned in and trusted in Jesus, he's just saying to you, no, do you love me? I love you. Do you love me? And maybe for you, you're at that place where Jesus is looking at you saying, okay, I know you love me. Now it's time to join me in my mission and purpose. Follow me. You see that last follow me was literally translated, keep following me. It's this ongoing active pursuit. Jesus was saying to Peter, okay, Peter, now that I know you love me, now that I know that you get why I came, now, Peter, guess what? Follow me. Join me in my mission to reach the everyone. And what's so amazing about this moment is Jesus was looking at Peter saying, Peter, I'm going to build my church on imperfect people like you. The hope of the world is going to be placed on people like you, Peter, who are messed up and imperfect. And they don't have it all together and they don't have all the answers and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to mess up and they're going to sin and they're going to do all that stuff. The dark places in their heart is going to creep out or explode out. Hey, Peter, some people like you, I'm going to reach the everyone. So maybe for you, it's about you actively joining Jesus in his mission to reach the everyone through his church. So in this last moment we have together, my question for you is the same question Jesus extended to Peter and the same question Jesus is extending right now. Do you love me? You know, I think about that moment between Jesus and Peter and here's what I know in my relationships. The only way I truly have the capacity to love unconditionally is, is as I grasp the unconditional love that God has extended to me. You know, I've said throughout the series, you know, we can't change other people, we can only change ourselves, which is true, but there's even parts of all of us within ourselves that we even don't have the power to change. So there's dark corners in our, in our lives you know, there's moments where you're like, I can't believe I said that again. I can't believe I thought that again. I can't believe that I did that again. And that's where Jesus changes our hearts from the inside out. And I know I don't truly have the capacity to extend forgiveness to the length and depth that God has extended to me. And what I know is my only way to have the ability to extend it to that length and depth is to start to grasp the length and depth of God's forgiveness for me. It's what Jesus showed Peter on that shore. 
for me to love deeper and forgive longer, I start to grasp God's unconditional love and radical grace. After service, uh, Rich and I are going to be down here. If you want someone to pray with, or maybe you have questions, or maybe you find yourself kind of, Peter, that first encounter where you're just intrigued about Jesus, we'd love to just talk with you. Maybe you're ready to turn and trust in him. We'd love to talk with you. Or maybe you just have life going on and you want someone to pray with. We'll just be hanging down there. And next week, uh, we're starting a brand new series called Saga. And every time I say it, I just kind of want to scream it. <laughs> it's like, ah, Saga. But um, this is sharing. Uh, but it's all about, you know, our story and God's story and how there's being scripted right now in every one of our individual lives, this amazing storyline, and there's pages left to be filled, and God wants to elevate our stories in such an amazing way. And so we're going to be looking at that through the lenses of a king in the Old Testament. And so we have invite cards throughout this, uh, uh, the Opera House, so grab a sack of them. They're small business cards, so you can slip them in your pocket or wallet or purse or wherever, uh, and that begins next week. Well, let me pray, and we will be done. Lord, thank you for our time, and thank you for redeeming our relationships and uh, to grasp the significance of your love and the forgiveness that you have extended to all of us. And may we, as we grasp that, extend that and give that to the people that we connect with. In your name I pray, amen.